0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Cliff Ravenscraft Show, a podcast devoted to helping you take your message, your business, and your life to the next level. This, my friends, is episode number 450, and I am your host, Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man. And this week's episode, I'm doing something completely different. I don't think I've ever done this before in this particular show. I'm going to be sharing with you an interview but not where I'm interviewing somebody for my podcast. Instead, I'm going to share with you an interview that my friend Ray Edwards did where he interviewed me for his show. At the end of our conversation, we both decided that you know what? This would be a great fit for my podcast. In fact, it was my idea. But he was—he said, "Cliff, I'm—that's crazy." I, I, I was thinking the same exact thing, you know. And I didn't want to suggest it because I didn't think that, you know, I didn't want you to think that I was inviting or whatever myself onto your show. No, but this was—I—I I think it'll just make sense. For those of you who have been following my journey for a while, you know that I have deemed this year, 2016, as the year of identity. I've been on quite a journey, been sharing it here in the podcast and there's a lot that continues this story of discovery of my identity that came out in this conversation that I had with Ray but so many other things came out in this conversation as well. The interview that Ray did with me was a total of two hours. He intentionally split that up into two separate episodes. Now, I don't typically like to have a cliffhanger But it made sense, and I love the way that he put that together for his show. Now, many of you have heard me talk about my friend Ray Edwards for years here on the podcast. And chances are, if you're a longtime listener, you've probably even heard Ray on this podcast on more than one occasion. And as a result of that, I know that a lot of you are out there. You have subscribed to the Ray Edwards show. And you're enjoying his podcast. And if that's the case, and you're like me, you tune into the Ray Edwards Show every single week without fail, and you look forward to it as one of your top podcasts, as I do, if that's the case, then chances are you've already heard this interview, or at least part one of the interview, because Ray played it on his show earlier this week. I will tell you that I have gone in and edited and cleaned up my part of the conversation just because I did a lot of stuttering here and there and stuff, so I cleaned that up. One thing that you'll get in this interview that you would not get in in the version that Ray played in his show, there's this quote that I gave from a very influential man in my life that had passed away. His name is David Foster. Later in this conversation, in this episode, where I tell Ray about one of the phrases that Dr. David Foster gave in one of his final sermon's he gave a quote about the impact that we have on people's lives. And I couldn't remember the exact words when Ray and I were having the conversations, but I went back and researched and I got word for word the exact wording. I'll admit to you that I re-recorded just that little one phrase, then pasted it in as if I had remembered it. But at least Ray's reaction is the same because I had pretty much generally spoken the exact phrase, but in honor of my friend, Dr. David Foster and the carefully chosen words that he gave, I wanted to make sure that at least here in my podcast, that since I had the opportunity to edit in the exact phrase as he spoke it as some of his final words on this earth and uh, words of great impact, I, I edited that into the conversation that you're going to hear here. So yeah, I'm going to play that interview for you here in just a moment. But before I do that, let me just say this. I'm recording this intro to the conversation you're about ready to hear on Friday, May 20th at 1.36 in the morning. I promised you guys you'd have an episode every Friday at 5 a.m. and by golly, I'm not going to miss that deadline. As I'm recording this, Friday, May 20th, I want to let you know there is plenty of time. I know many of you are going to hear this over the weekend, this first weekend that I am releasing this episode. And if that's the case, I want to let you know that my next session of podcasting A to Z is my 25th time that I've been doing this course. And over the last, well, since 2011, I've had over 550 students go through this course, and have had a 100% satisfaction rating from every student who's ever gone through. And if you're thinking about launching a podcast, this is an opportunity to have me as your personal coach walking you through every step in the process of launching your podcast. If you have been thinking about doing a podcast and and it's been on your mind for months, for maybe even years, and you just still haven't done it, my friends, taking your message to the next level by creating a podcast is one of the greatest investments you can make into having a powerful and positive impact in the lives of people who will listen to you communicate through your audio podcast. It is, it's just crazy what you can do with an audio podcast. Look, you guys are listening to me. Think about this. You're about ready to hear this entire one hour episode and you tune in week after week after week and you think about hearing my voice Every single week for about an hour, how much influence and impact is that having in your life? Just think about it. You could be having that kind of impact and that kind of influence in the lives of other people who'd be listening to you if you launched a podcast. Why put it off any longer? My next session of Podcasting A to Z starts this Monday, May 23rd. Don't put it off any longer. Let's work together. Head over to z.com. Tell you what, I'll remind you at the end of the episode to go and sign up for Podcasting A to Z. But for now, have a listen to part one of my conversation or Ray's conversation with me from The Ray Edwards Show.
1: So my guest this week is Cliff Ravenscraft. And Cliff and I are great friends. Um, We're more than friends. We're brothers. We're knitted together together in a kind of friendship that is very rare, I think for me at least, it has been. And um, it's been an extraordinary journey we've been on together as we've been going through some changes in life and transitioning in from one area to another. And I want to, okay, if it's okay, I want to tempt, Cliff, a description of how I perceive you and how I perceive where
0: you're going. Is that all right? Dude, I would be honored by that because I always, I, I believe, Ray, that there are people who see things in me that I'm not aware of myself. And so I, I believe that people see God inspired work happening inside of my life that sometimes I'm not privy to. And, and I love to hear these things, especially from somebody that I value their thoughts and, and wisdom as much as I do yours.
1: All right. We've got a tremendous mutual admiration society going on here. Yes, we do. That's how it should be. We should all admire the best in one another.
0: <laughs> Michael O'Neill was on my podcast recently and and we call it the bromance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the bromance.
0: The bromance. So okay. here's, how, I'm, I'm here's ready. how I see you. Lay it on me.
1: Cliff is the king of empowering people to turn their message into a podcast and distribute it to the world using the miraculous technology that's never been available before in history. I believe that the internet and specifically right now it's podcasting. It may be something different five years from now, but right now the sweet spot, the ubiquitously available, easily accessible technological innovation that's available to everybody is podcasting. And I think it's more significant or at least as significant as Gutenberg's printing press and Cliff gives people access to using that channel in the most effective, most efficient, and the easiest possible way. It doesn't mean it is easy. And furthermore, that's just a gateway drug. That's just a gateway that gets people in the door. And Cliff ends up teaching people about and modeling for them excellence, integrity, taking every area of your life, whether it be mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, to the next level, whatever that level is for you. He doesn't set up artificial targets and say, you have to get here to be successful. But if you want to go to the next level of potential for you, I can help you get there. And that's how I see you right now.
0: Wow. I love that.
1: One of the things that I have been thinking about lately, and it's grown out of some discussions with you, and it's grown out of some of my own thoughts about where I'm headed with my business and the work that I do in my personal life as well, is this may surprise you, this term I'm going to use, typecasting. Mm. And the reason I say that is it's a known fact in the acting profession that actors generally don't want to be typecast. In fact, Leonard Nimoy, who passed away not long ago and who is one of my favorite actors, who is really a tremendous role model and personal, spiritual, intellectual influence in my life. I know that sounds silly to some people, but it's true. If you don't know who Leonard Nimoy was... How's that possible? But just in case, he was the actor who portrayed and really created the persona of Mr. Spock on Star Trek. And initially, he was horrified to be typecast as Spock. In fact, he wrote a book called, I Am Not Spock. And he worked through a process of coming to accept what it meant to be known as Spock. He realized, I think, he's going to be known as Spock for the rest of his life, which was true but he was known as many other things as well, a photographer, an artist, a philanthropist, many other things. Um, he wrote another book a few years later called, I am Spock. And William Shatner, who portrayed Captain Kirk on that series went through the same process. You know, Star Trek, most people don't realize this, the first three years where all there was of the original series and it was canceled. It was not successful. It was not a rating success story. It was a failure by network standards. There were only 77 episodes which was not enough. The target was to get at least 100 episodes to be successful. They didn't make it to the finish line. And yet there was something about that show that I think stirred a desire in people for a better world, a better tomorrow, holding themselves in the world to a better standard. And I've kind of got off on a rabbit trail here, but I think it's important. There was something in it that brought life to people. And so the people would not let the show die. And so William Shatner, after the show was over, was living in a, a trailer like that, you pull behind your car, a tiny little trailer because that's all he could afford. He was broke. And he was trying desperately not to be Captain Kirk. And he later began to accept that Captain Kirk, the persona, the fame, the love, the adoration that brought to him, empowered him to do so many other things. And I believe that Shatner will go down in history as one of the great actors who understood that his Acting was a business that spread into other areas of life and allowed him to be a philanthropist, a contributor to society, an inspiration for millions, and a model for how to take a career that some would have said, well, he was a B-level actor. I don't buy that, but some would say that, and turn it into more success long-term than most A-level or so-called A-level actors have been able to do. Because there's one, it's one thing to be a flash in the pan and have a career arc that goes spike up and then spike down into the depths and you never hear from the person again. There's been many examples of that. William Shatner has been kind of on this gradual rise over time. And the guy is 85 years old and more well-known and more famous and more wealthy now. Not that those things are the most important things to him. And I said all that to say this. So many of us are worried about being typecast. For a long time, I struggled against being known just as a copywriter. Now, notice how I said that, just as a copywriter. And I think, Cliff, if it's okay, if I open with this, I think that you have, you've been pretty open about it. You have struggled recently through not wanting to be known as just the podcast answer man. Absolutely. But you've been through this entire evolution. And so instead of me continuing to soliloquize about this, I want to just rewind a little bit and go back to what I believe, what externally to me seemed like the beginning of your journey recently, which was you discovered a musical.
0: Oh, yes. The musical Hamilton. I had been listening to a podcast called This Week in Tech and also uh, another one called MacBreak Weekly, both of them hosted by Leo Laporte. And for months, I would hear them talk about this musical. It would just come up. Every single episode, there would be a mention of Hamilton. I think there's been a joke now that there's a, a drinking game associated with the uh, <laughs> with the mention of of Hamilton in their podcasts. <laughs> so I'd heard about this musical, you know, and I'm like, what is this? Everybody's going goo gaga after this. And then I saw a couple things mentioned in late night TV shows. And my daughter McKenna, who is in fifth grade, she's talking about this stuff at school, and she's coming home and saying, Dad, I want to listen to Hamilton, and I'm like, what is this, and so I pull up Apple Music, and I click play on Hamilton, and I'm like, "Mm, that's kind of catchy, actually, no, it was on YouTube, I looked it up on YouTube, and McKenna was there with me, and and she was telling me the words, she was actually singing some of them, and I'm like, Oh, this, this is this is really catchy and and i'm like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go for a bike ride later i'm gonna see if this is on apple music i'm a subscriber there fired up apple music on my phone and i go out for a bike ride and i listen to the entire soundtrack from the first song all the way to the very last song which by the way um, that's no small feat That's like over two hours yeah So I was on my bike for over two hours, extended my ride so that I could finish this musical for the very first time while I'm out on my ride. And by the end of it, I was mesmerized by what I had just heard. And I didn't even fully comprehend what I had just heard, but I knew that I was in love with the musical, the music itself and I heard, and, and Ray, I'm one of those guys who typically when I listen to music, all I hear is the beat, the melody, and, and and many times the bass line and stuff like that, and I get really excited about that stuff, and I'm one of those guys who rarely hears lyrics. I, I, it's like, I, whatever they're saying, it doesn't, I have no clue, and in fact, there have been songs, I don't know if you've ever done this, where it's like, man, I really want to hear what this song's about, so I'm going to listen to the lyrics, and I, I rewind it to the beginning, and I start listening, and halfway through the first line, I'm back to the boom, 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 boom. and I don't, I was like, oh, wait, I, forgot, I was supposed to, and I hit rewind, and and I can't listen to an entire song and hear lyrics. Dude, I will tell you, Not only, now the music is amazing in this thing, but I was sucked into the lyrics. I was, and it's, it's, it's hip hop. It's the life of Alexander Hamilton, one of our founding fathers of our nation. It's his life story told as a hip hop musical in rap form and many of the songs are super fast. And I am listening intently to every single word of every lyric in every song and it was just mind-blowing.
1: I had the same experience, and it was only because you had promoted this musical so heavily, I thought, well, if Cliff is really this into it, there has to be something to it, because I, I confess, I have not been the world's greatest fan of rap. I had the same experience, and I was so enthralled by the lyrics, by the story, by the things that were being said that I had to go back and I would, I kept hitting the rewind on my iPhone because I had to hear what they said. And then I had to look up the lyrics. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's an incredible musical. I think um, Sean and I, my son, Sean, were discussing recently that we believe that God really inspired the creators of this musical. I don't know if they acknowledge that or not, but we believe that because think about it. It's, it's a, an art form that is typically associated, I don't want to be stereotypical, but it's typically associated with African-American people, hip-hop music. Now, it's not exclusively so. I know that. Please don't send me emails saying, Ray, you're so ignorant. I I understand that, but please understand I come from a limited worldview. I'm somewhat hobbled by my particular skew on life. I'm sure you're not, but I am, so I admit it. But it's, it was so unexpected, and it's about one of the founding fathers of the United States, not one of the more famous, more obvious choices, and it has inspired millions of people to explore the values that Alexander Hamilton held, the flaws in his character, the reasons he did what he did, and to be interested in American history. And to me, that is astonishing. No textbook or novel or article in the Wall Street Journal could have accomplished what this musical accomplished.
0: I don't say these words lightly. It's changed my life. And what I mean by that is it has had a profound impact on my life and also my search for my own identity. How so? First of all, I listened to that musical once and I would like to just say a couple things. Since then, and by the way, this was what, two months ago, maybe that I listened to it for the very first time. I would say that I listen to the complete soundtrack from beginning to end no less than six to eight times a week right now. Wow. Then when I'm not listening to it from beginning to end, just random places, I'm I'm listening to it here and there. It's incredible. Now, like you said, you listen to it and just try to hear the lyrics. That's one thing. Man, when you sit down with the actual lyrics in front of you and it's actually telling you what characters are actually saying what lines, that just blows your mind. And and it opens up and eye, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, I thought that these lyrics were sung by these three characters in the play throughout the entire thing. And I'm like, no, that's like a cast of like eight different people. There's, you know, you've got John Lawrence. I never knew who John Lawrence was. I do Nor now. Aaron Burr, I really didn't know who he was. I thought he was the guy who played Perry Mason. Yeah, I had never heard of Hercules Mulligan before. I've heard of Lafayette. I mean, who hasn't heard of him? But I knew nothing about him. I think I probably would have guessed he was a Frenchman. But beyond that, eh. You know, and and just all of these other characters. I mean, we could go on about the different ones. But when I sat down and read the lyrics as I was listening to it, It was the most incredible eye-opening experience of the human condition. And by the way, after falling in love with the musical, I started researching it on YouTube, found all kinds of White House appearances when Lin-Manuel Miranda was just thinking about this as a concept, and he showed up for the Poet Night at the White House. Just look up Hamilton White House Poet Night on Google, and you'll find that video. It's an incredible rendition of the very first song as it was just being written. Mm. It's awesome. And then I started looking at other interviews with Lin-Manuel Miranda and I watched all these other videos and I learned that this was all inspired because Lin-Manuel Miranda was on vacation with his wife and in the airport, he decides to pick up the biography of Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. This is over a thousand page biography And he said that as he was reading it on vacation, it was a page turner he couldn't put down. And as he was reading, he's like, this has to be told as a musical and it has to be hip hop. And I can just imagine as he was reading it, he's already picturing as he's reading it on vacation for the very first time, he's already envisioning what we actually get to enjoy today. And so I'm inspired by just that aspect of it, but that led me to say, okay, I want to learn more about this biography. I mean, I've never, I, I've enjoyed a, a handful of biographies before, but now that I know the overview and I see the result of this biography's impression on Lin-Manuel Miranda, I'd like to go to see the source material that inspired this. And so I went and got the 1,000-plus page biography of Alexander Hamilton, and I'm... About 10% through it. But man, I am learning so much. There's so many details about Alexander Hamilton's life. And why I say that it has had a profound impact on me personally as it relates to my identity is there's just so much about his story that I can relate to about Alexander Hamilton himself when it comes to daddy issues. Boy, are they there when it comes to adversity and things just not going right, when it comes to maybe not always being politically correct or maybe not doing things the logical way. Ray, you know this about me. I'm one of those guys that when I get excited, I'm ready to take action. I'm going to go tell the world. Whatever I'm feeling in my heart right now, whether it's right or wrong, I'm ready to go tell the entire world about it. And when I make a a decision that I'm going to do something, Even if I haven't fully thought it through yet, Ray, you know this, I go out and immediately do what I said I'm going to do, even if I might regret it later. I just want to do things. I'm a mover. And there are times when that bites me in the butt, and I've got great, wise, logical friends who warn me. And and sometimes I'm like, you know, I I feel like, man, I shouldn't be like that. But Alexander Hamilton was. And you know what? It ended up getting him killed in the end. But... He had a profound impact on our world in a way I think God inspired. And I'm like, you know what? If Alexander Hamilton can have his weaknesses allow him to achieve the greatness I believe God called him to have in the world, then why should I feel bad about some of my personality traits that quote unquote don't line up with the average person's opinion of how we should behave in this world?
1: Well said. And I just will say for the record that I've seen average and I don't want to be average. And it's got nothing to do, it's got nothing to do with how much money you have or how much recognition you have from other people. But the average person, well, uh, I believe it was Henry, was it Emerson or Henry David Thoreau who said the mass of men lead lives, lead lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. That's the average. And it's true. Well,
0: Ray, I, I want I to be there. I want to add a caveat to that though. And I want to tell you that I, I'm a big fan of, I think you you attribute this to Jim Rohn all the time. You're the average of the five people you do life with the most, right? Right. So I am I am intentional about who I do life with the most. And let me just tell you, the average person that I'm referring to is way above average. So I'm talking about the, the wisdom and the advice of very highly successful people that are just mind-blowingly awesome and have achieved greatness in their lives and, and people that I look up highly to. And when I'm thinking about this group of people, I'm thinking about five to seven people who have so much more life experience than I do, who have a great deal more wisdom in many areas, who have a great deal more success in areas that I'm looking to achieve success and yet, at many times, while I seek their advice and opinions, there are often times when they give me advice and opinions that, you know what? it makes logical sense, but you know what? I don't want to do it i don't want to I don't want to do it that way i i I realize that what I'm about ready to do, you're saying it's a huge mistake, and I shouldn't do it, but i can't i I don't think I could sleep tonight unless I do it anyway. If it's a mistake. It's a mistake I'm going to make and then I'm going to say you're right and, and, I'll co- and I'll go back and change. But I believe that to become the person I need to be in the future, this is a mistake I think I need to make to get there.
1: Interesting. Okay, so I want to camp on this for a moment because there is a quotation from a book of very wise sayings that says there is wisdom in many counselors. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind the quotation in the context is that an ignorant person doesn't listen to anybody else's advice, but a wise person will take the advice of many people and make a decision. So how do you balance that against, and I'm not I'm not here to, let me just say this. We're going to talk about a lot of deep stuff, and I'm going to make statements. I'm not saying I have all the answers. This, For me, this interview is more of a conversation where we're going to just explore some questions that I don't think, Cliff, either of us feel like we have 100% the right answer to, but we're looking for that answer. Right. Is, is, do you think that's correct?
0: I would agree with that, and i have a I have another scripture, and it's in, in, in. Well, obviously, I know what you just quoted was a scripture, Ray. You're not sneaking that one by me. You let the cat out of the bag. I know, uh, us Bible thumpers, I'll tell you. But there's another one as well in Proverbs that says, "Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed."
1: Well done, sir. So All how right. do you reconcile that? And you're we're in a mastermind group together, and I've seen the example of when you get certain advice and you say, well, thanks guys, but I'm gonna do the exact opposite of what you just advised me. How do you reconcile that?
0: Okay, so plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. It doesn't say plans fail for lack of counsel, but when you follow the advice of your many advisors every single time to the letter, plans succeed. It doesn't say that. It just says that plans lack because you don't have any counsel. You haven't heard any other opinions. I have a mastermind group, as you know, that I've operated since 2010, and I have some very wise people, some counselors, and I seek their advice every six weeks. There are many times that I'll go there, and yeah, the advice that I'm getting from them, it all seems logical, you know what, and I'm glad I'm hearing it because, man, this is not something I would hear from people who just want me to who just want to say yes to anything that I think I'm excited about. Because I just I'm, want
1: to flatter you
0: and appeal to your vanity. This yeah. is not what that group
1: is. And not only
0: that, but I'm also a very passionate and persuasive person. And yes, so, you can sway people very easily. I can go to the average person and say, I'm really excited about this. And they could think it's a terrible idea. But after a 45-minute conversation over lunch, I can convince them why they should be excited about the fact that I'm about ready to do this. I've seen it happen. <laughs> exactly. And so that's where plans fail for lack of counsel uh, and good counsel. The reality is, is that I do believe that I need a mastermind or I need wise counselors or many advisors around me. And I do need their wisdom and I do need to hear their, from their experience. But I don't think that scripture is telling me that I have to do exactly what those people are saying because in, in, the, in fact, most times I can't. Because if I ask six different people what I should do, if three of them say, yeah, and three of them say, no, well, then what do I do? It always comes, to, or even if there's five that say, you should not do that, and one says you should, where do you go? You have to make a decision. I think that the wise person makes the decision based upon gathering the advice of those many counselors and then moves forward with their decision, given the weight of that advice prior to making the decision.
1: And the wise person is open to the idea that they may have made the wrong choice. Because often, I think the only way to really know, I mean, sometimes in in our conversations, this may not be true for everybody listening, but Cliff, when you and I talk, we will often say things like, I feel that God is leading me to do this. And we've never talked about this, but I make it a policy, I try to anyway, to never say, well, God inspired me to do this thing, so I'm going to do it. Because that's very definitive. And I'm not an egotistical enough person to say, I know God told me to do it, so I'm just going to go do it. Because I've had the experience of thinking that's what happened and discovered that, no, it was really just my little imaginary voice in my head that told me to do that one. And so... I think the only way sometimes to know what the right choice is, is even in the face of great advice, if you feel a conviction inside that makes you feel like, I, I believe God's prompting me, leading me to make a different decision than what I've been advised to make. The only way to know it for sure is to go forward and see what happens.
0: Yep. There have been many times that I follow the advice of the many advisors and counselors and, and the let's just say the majority opinion that seems the most logical and there are many times when I've followed their advice, I did what they said in spite of what I felt in my heart and it worked out great. And it's like, they were right. There have been times when I followed their advice and it was against what I felt like I should do, but, and, and it didn't work out. And it's like, I should have done what I said I was going to do anyway. And then the opposite is true. There are times when I don't follow their advice and it works out great and there are times when I don't follow their advice and I'm like, I should have listened. Here's what I meant by that statement before where I said, you know, sometimes I just feel like I just need to make the mistake. The reason why I say that is because I look at the last 10 years of my life and specifically the previous 10 years. This, is, this has been where I started podcasting as a hobby and made this decision, wouldn't it be great if I could do this full-time, this podcasting thing full-time and then all of a sudden feeling Wow, I, I, I can't think of anything other than doing this full time and then turning it into a business and not knowing exactly actually not knowing anything about what I was doing and having all the heartaches. Ray, I made so many stupid mistakes over the years, including ruining my health during the first year of my business. and And you know, and people have asked me many times in interviews, they said, Cliff, if you could go back to day one, and you could change anything in your that you wanted what's one two or three things that you would do differently and the answer to that question is i hope that i wouldn't do anything differently and the crazy reason for that is because i am who i am today because of all of my experiences up to this point today i have the opportunity to encourage and inspire thousands of people to take their health and physical fitness seriously because they have seen me a 272 pound overweight super obese heavy guy who was not taking care of himself and they seen over the course of 17 months that man drop 80 pounds and put on 20 pounds of muscle whereas that's inspiring them more than the all the health and fitness gurus in the world who have never had more than seventeen percent body fat in their entire life.
1: Yeah, and that is the first time I ever had a hint of that. Remember the uh, the TV infomercials for the Soloflex? Yes. And the guy they it, they were kind of shot in some of them at least were shot in kind of a black and white, and the guy was all sheened with oil, and he was very muscular and carved and. He was doing these exercises and I read an interview with him a couple of years after those ads had become enormously, at that time, they were the most successful infomercial ever. And he said in the interview, you know, I've never worked out a day in my life. And I realized, wow. Um, so that was apparent proof that this guru knew what he was talking about, but he hadn't really ever struggled with what everybody watching the commercial had, was struggling with, which was they, did, they were in bad shape and they didn't know how to get out of it. And they put out this... And I don't, I'm not accusing the solo flex people of anything. I'm just saying that was a very striking moment for me to realize that, um, you need to probably take advice from people who have been through or experienced or overcome what you've overcome. Or as Dave Ramsey puts it, don't take financial advice from broke people.
0: <laughs> yes. You know, Ray, and, and and the thing is, is I'm not saying that I'm intentionally looking to go out and make more and more mistakes so that I can help more and more people, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying... Should we, should we sin all the more so that grace may abound? By no means. What I'm saying, though, is, is that I'm not afraid to fail and try and risk new things in spite of the fact that I may be given advice about the logical thing that makes the most sense, but what I'm willing to do is I'm I'm willing to trust my gut, and the things that I do sense or feel that God's calling me to. And again, I get that screwed up sometimes myself. There are sometimes it's my own little selfish ambition that's speaking to me. But the more I move forward following my heart after seeking the wise counsel of many advisors and then making a decision and moving forward, the more I do that and I see which things work out and which things don't work out, I get to the place where I feel like I'm better at discerning that gut feeling.
1: Well, that's how you grow. I believe that's the process you go through where you're transforming the way your mind works. And that's how you grow in wisdom and stature with God and men. Yeah. Now let's, I want to circle back to this journey with Hamilton. And what I heard happen for you was you were inspired by the music. You were fascinated with his life, but it seems to me that it lit a spark of you seeing a bigger vision for your life. That's how I would describe it. Some people would describe it as you fanning the flames of ambition, but I think you know what I'm talking about. And I would like to hear from you, your perception of what happened there and where that's
0: led you to. Okay. So I want to point out that what happened was that it didn't actually ignite a spark but it was actually fanning the flame of a spark that existed. Okay, great. So ever since I started my business, it's the five-year plan. Where do you see yourself in five years from now? What's your perfect day five years from now? And then what does that look like? What are you doing? What kind of income? And I'm like, I've always felt like I need to do that. And maybe we can come back and maybe you'll bring me back to the conversation of why that never worked during the first five years or even the second five years of the past 10 years of my business. I do
1: want to come back to that because... My opinion is that doesn't work for anybody, but go on with your story.
0: Good, because it it didn't work for me. And some of the confusion and heartache and everything that I've just recently gone through is because I decided that it must be true because so many people that I know and trust and and care about and who are successful have been telling me that I should have a five-year plan and I should have a life plan and I should have all of these things. And so back in November, I decided, you know what? I'm going to create a life plan. Finally, I'm I'm gonna ask myself, in 10 to 20 years from now, what do I want my life to look like? What kind of work will I be doing? How much money will I be making? What kind of products and services will I be creating? What will I be known for? Mm. Mm. What will I be known for? And, And so all of these questions, and then, I let those questions run through my mind for weeks and weeks, never writing a single thing down, not talking to a single person. But, Ray, I'm always thinking, thinking, thinking. I'm listening to people's podcasts, and they'll talk about something, and it gets me to think, oh, yeah, I I could see myself. And then one day, I sat in front of my big whiteboard. My whiteboard is about four foot high, six foot wide. I'm showing it to you there. So oh, I have, you've got one that rolls.
1: Yeah, I have the okay. big
0: classroom whiteboard. You have, you have to tell me
1: where you got that. I All don't right.
0: Want All right. But I have this giant whiteboard, and I went up there, and I'm like, okay. I wrote out the question, what do I want my life to look like in 10 to 20 years from now? How much money do I want to make? And that, Ray, that's a scary question to ask yourself because you don't want to lowball it. And I believe that, man, when you write something, I, th- I believe there's power in writing things down. And so I, I asked myself some questions. It's like, I mean, this is, t- if I'm allowing myself 10, 20 years down the road, you always ask me, why is it 10 to 20 years down? Why is it? Because I I forced myself to put it so far out so that I can dream big and there's time to achieve that level of... It seems more possible. Exactly. And <laughs> it's so funny though, because Ray, sometimes I forget that I'm 43 years old and I'm like, wait a second, 20 years, I'm 63. I'm almost you know, when I I don't believe I'll ever retire, but you know, that's when most people are ready to wind down and all that other stuff. Okay. Sidebar. Yeah.
1: There's a guy named Dan Sullivan. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Heard of him. Yeah. He runs a company called Strategic Coach. Okay. And he has a a lot of brilliant thoughts, ideas, strategies, and tactics. He works with a lot of high-level entrepreneurs. I've never been in one of his programs, but I've read a lot of his books and I bought a audio program from him that he doesn't sell anymore, which was as I understand it, kind of a summary of his coaching and he doesn't sell that anymore, I think for probably pretty obvious reasons. Because if I've got your coaching program in audio, then why would I come be part of the real one? Right. Well, the answer is, I think you want to be immersed in that environment, but that's, that's a rabbit trail. The point of me bringing him up is, he, I think he's 70 years old now. Yeah. And a friend of mine um, who is in his coaching program told me that Dan just announced to his coaching students that he just came up with his 25-year plan for his life. Nice. And, and so I think it's different than the kind of plan we were just talking about. But what I like about that is Dan Sullivan has presumed, hey, I'm going to be around 25 years from now and I'm not going to be useless. I've got plans. They may or may not work out. My identity is not dependent upon that, but this is what I'm planning to do given the opportunity and given the right circumstances and given the, the presumption that I still believe this is the right thing for me to do 25 years from now. And I love that spirit of optimism and trust and faith that doesn't decide I'm 70. So I'm finished. I love that. I do too. Uh, I, so I interrupted your story, but I just had to share that because I thought it was so cool. So such a novel approach to being 70 years old.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. I'm looking here to see if I can find this episode that I did. Yeah. It's actually, uh, if I can give you a, a URL to your audience, Yes, of um, course. Podcastanswerman.com slash 20 years. That's two zero y years By the time people hear this, I will link that to episode 624 of a podcast I used to do called Pursuing a Balanced Life. And I actually shared every single thing I had put on my whiteboard about what do I want my life to look like in tw- 10 to 20 years from now. Interesting. And, and by the way, the questions were: there were four questions I asked myself. How much money do I want to be earning in 10 to 20 years from now? What do I want my life to look like? What will I be doing in 10 to 20 years from now? What do I want to be known for? And number four, 10 to 20 years from now, what is it that drives me to do what I do? Mm. Not today, but in 10 to 20 years from now, living whatever life that I desire for myself to have. La vida loca. See today, today I can tell you. Oftentimes, I'm I still struggle today with some of what drives me to do what I do today is financial. Well, of course. Okay, but I and and I'll be I'll just be bluntly honest. Right now, it is a primary drive for me. It has not always been, and I realize that I've lost touch with my original reason why. And I am getting back to it. By the way, that's a whole nother conversation about faith and God well, and. We're going to have that
1: conversation as we talk here today. And I want to show you something. Can
0: you see this? Yes. Heart over money.
1: It's a heart over a dollar sign. Yeah. It's a symbol I stole from Aaron Tippin. Those of you who are country music fans will know who I'm talking about. He had a song called Love Over Money. But um, I want to come back to that because I I don't necessarily believe it's a choice. Right. At any rate, let's get back to your story where you wrote down your life so, plan. So
0: I so I wrote, I wrote down I I answered the questions, what do I want my life to look like? I updated my mission statement and and everything like that and I'm like, okay, this is now I have it, and then what I did, Ray, is it's like, okay, now it's time to create the plan. You work it, you work it backwards. Okay, if this is what I'm, if I'm making this much money, and I'm doing, and I'm speaking in stadiums in front of this many people, and I'm creating these kind of books, and I'm creating this kind of material, and it's and, and it's all of these things, and what I'm known for is way beyond podcasting. Okay, now I need to reverse engineer that so that I can create a plan what do I need to do over the next 20 years to get to that place what do I okay and then what do I do within the next 10 years all right and knowing that okay what to get make that happen what do I need to do over the next five years and then what do I need to do over the next year and then what do I need to do over the next six months and 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 then I'm like okay I've got lots of work to do and my task list started filling up and and all these other things and to be honest with you Ray I got overwhelmed I got a little bit anxious about it. I got, I'm like, I'm not ready for this. Um, I I was just overwhelmed. It it overwhelmed me to think about what I need to do. And I've come to the place, Ray, where, and and this is what I love, bringing it back to Hamilton. Okay. Bringing it back to Hamilton. Nice. All right. When Hamilton was a teenage boy on the island of St. Croix, he was not thinking, how can I get my my face on the $10 bill? Oh, I love that statement. And when he came to America, he was looking at colleges and wanted to get an accelerated college. What he knew is that he wanted to rise above his station. He wanted to achieve success in his life that would go beyond what quote unquote fate had delivered to him. Mm. He wanted to rise above his circumstances. He did have an ambition and a drive to do things that were significant. But he never once said, "I everything I'm doing, I'm going to do so that I can be the first secretary of the Treasury of the United States of America." He never set that 20-year plan out in the in the future. Instead, what you'll find is that he simply said, I feel called to take everything I'm doing in my life to the next level. I'm on the island. Okay, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna start working as a trading charter. And okay, so there's this, there's this hurricane that came and destroyed all of that. His hopes are dashed, right? And right. he's like, "Okay, well I'm going to write about this." I've been writing and he writes a story and what happens he gets the attention of all these people and they're like, "This kid's amazing. That nobody writes at this age like this." And so they take up a collection, they send him to the the states to to get an education. They're going to pay his way. And that opens up opportunity. He goes there and he's like, "You know what? I've been hearing about this revolution over here and I happen to know that because I have no noble blood, I know that I I, I can never make it in a high class society based upon my birth and the fact that you know I don't have a father and, and my mother's past and all that stuff. The only way that I'm ever going to be able to achieve anything beyond what is expected for me is if I do something big. And the the only thing I can think of right now is to become a part of this revolutionary war and get a, a position where I can prove myself and to make a name for myself there. And that it was always the next thing. What's the next thing I should do? What's the next thing I should do? And And that's what I love about his story is that he did not, at any point in his journey, until he was offered the position of the Secretary of Treasury by George Washington, never once did he ever set that out as his original goal. His goal was to survive as a kid, his goal was to make a living as a teenager, and then his goal was to get an education. Then his goal was, okay, I don't care about this education so much, let me just, you know, I think they're gonna take too long, I can do better on my own, how can I accelerate this? Now, his next thing was, how can I get, how can I be a part of this revolution? And then, not can I, how can I be a part of it, how can I become a leading force in this revolution? And then, how can I, You know, it's just, it goes up and up and up. And he's, it's always the next thing. He never said, how can I jump from where I am to 20 spaces ahead? So why, you've you've made an extraordinary point.
1: Why is that thread of this story so important to you?
0: I think it's it's an encouragement to me that it's okay to have a vision of the future that might or might not happen. But I don't think it's important as a re- not just as a result of hamilton it, that hamilton's just a part that has confirmed a lot of other things that have been going through my mind and sure. other things but what has happened is that you know i don't have to have the pl- i don't have to have the 5 year plan the 10 year plan the 20 year plan all i know is that i feel called to take what i'm doing today and not sit here and just say oh this is comfortable i'm just going to do this although I will say that lately, I've come to the place where, you know what, if something, if if an opportunity comes and it fits within what lifestyle I want to lead right now while my kids are still in high school, then I'll decide on opportunity per opportunity on a case-by-case basis whether or not I'll pursue that. But right now, I've achieved a level of success where it's okay for me to have a season of life where... I have attained this level of success and I write it out for a few years. I I, I think, and by the way, this is just coming to me, Ray. This is not a thought. This is a unique thought. Breaking news right here on the Ray Edwards Show. All right. Stand by, folks. Here it comes. Oftentimes, we look at a biography of somebody like a founding father like Alexander Hamilton. And we think of his life as a couple points on the map of, of his timeline. You know, he's born. His he's his young age, his teenage, he's in his twenties, he comes he, he college, revolutionary war, gets married, secretary of straight, state, and blah blah blah. And we think that this all he like immediately jumps from this to this to this. We forget the fact that he probably had weeks, months, and years where he was just doing mundane, routine, ordinary tasks that weren't all that glamorous. Does that make sense? It makes total sense because what I, what I hear in what you're saying
1: is, and I, I should explain something because earlier I made a comment about the whiteboard and people probably wonder, well, how do you know? Why did you say that? Well, Cliff and I are actually doing this interview, this conversation via Skype, and we're looking at each other through video, but you're only hearing the audio. So I'm, I'm now going to explain another visual. Cliff may wonder, why does Ray keep looking off to his left? It's because I'm looking up some references that I want to share that are pertinent to what you're saying. By the way,
0: share those, and I just want to share with you, gspn.tv slash whiteboard. Ah, perfect. gspn.tv slash whiteboard. But, Ray, when you go there, and anybody else that goes there, make sure that on Amazon you go through and look for Cliff Ravenscraft, and look for my written review, and it's important for you to read all of the updates to my written review.
1: Ah, because your opinion about the whiteboard has changed over time.
0: Well, within the first 45 days of ordering the first one that was damaged, the second one that was damaged, and I think the third one that was damaged. And read it. Overall, I'm very satisfied, just like Angelica was not. But... uh, (laughs) because <laughs> they're never, never, satisfied, never satisfied, never satisfied. But anyway, there, there is a little dent on what on one side. And I finally gave up, but ch- check it out. Read all my reviews, gspn.tv slash whiteboard because I, I want people, I mean, whiteboards are awesome. Now share with what these visuals are.
1: Well, first I want to go back to what you were saying. You were talking about how he didn't, uh, Hamilton did not start with this 20 year vision that, Hey, I'm going to be a founding father and I'm going to have my face on the $10 bill. I'm going to be all these things that he ended up being, he was just doing the next right thing. And this is why I think having a plan, a goal that we're aimed at is important. And it's probably important that it is somewhere off in the future. But I I personally have come to believe only recently that that goal needs to be a little bit ambiguous because Mm. otherwise we get married to an outcome and we become obsessed with getting exactly what we decided we wanted. And I think the purpose of the goal is like, It's like you have a map, you have a chart, you're crossing the ocean, you have a general direction you want to go, but you need to be flexible enough to follow the compass, follow the stars and be sensitive to the weather, to what you encounter along the way, because that may change your plan. And if you slavishly follow a point on a map and you don't take into account what happens along the way and how you're changed, how the sea changes, how your vessel changes, how your crewmates change, you may, well, you do, you actually miss the important part, which is not the destination, but the journey. Now, I'm going to share something with you I've never told you. I, years ago, was inspired by a musical to the point of obsession. Hmm. And it changed my life. And I came at it from a slightly different direction. Up until that point, I had been so obsessed with external success. It was, frankly, the only thing, practically, that mattered to me. It was above God. It was above my family. It was above my own health. It was, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but I was trying to prove something. And I won't go too deep into this. I don't believe in spending lots of time in introspection and thinking about what happened to me when I was five years old that made me. I think it's good if you can see those things and recognize them, but not getting married to the idea that, well, that happened, so that's who I am now, and I'm stuck there. But I, I realized I was trying to prove something to my father. Hmm. And that was... I am worthy of your pride. That was my deal. The musical that changed my life was Les Miserables.
0: I love Les Mis.
1: I listened to it just as you have with Hamilton over and over and over and over again. I was obsessed with the lyrics, with the story, with reading the book, with understanding why Victor Hugo wrote the book, what he was trying to get across, what was his message what inspired all those events. And I, I, those songs spoke to my soul in a way that that musical was responsible for unlocking inside me the realization that what really matters is loving people as Christ loves us. So who, what I wanted to be known for used to be a long list of, I wanna be known as a best-selling author, I wanna be known as making millions of dollars, I wanna be known as impacting millions of lives, I want to be recognized. I want to be, I had a, I, my list of goals was like, I want to have this many New York times bestsellers. I want to be on this many TV screens. I want to have this much of an audience. Those were my goals, Cliff. I want to have this much money. That's how I will know I am successful. And I came to realize I have a different, this is what I've never shared. I've never shared about Limiz Mis and the effect that it had on my life. And I've also never shared with anybody publicly what it is I want to be known for, but I'm going to share it with you now. This is, and this is not for anybody else. This is what I, the conclusion I came to. I'm not prescribing, I'm just describing. I want to be known as a person that when people encountered me, they felt seen, they felt heard, and they felt loved. And then that's my, that's my external, politically correct way of describing it. My internal representation of that is I want them to feel like they've encountered the presence of Jesus. Now, to some people that will sound incredibly obnoxiously egotistical. But to me, it's exactly the opposite. I used to want to be known for being famous and rich. And it's funny, the more, I want to come back to your story, but I just feel like this plays into, weaves into the conversation that we're having. The more access I've gained to all those things I used to want, the less interested in them I am.
0: Say that statement one more time.
1: Let me rephrase it slightly. No, say it it exactly like
0: you did because it was profound, profound, but I I want to hear it again. again.
1: The more access I have gained to the things I used to say I want, the less I find that I desire them.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I'm the least interested in being known, people knowing my name, the least interested I've ever been. I'm the least interested in being in front of large crowds than I've ever been. I'm the least interested in being mega rich for the purposes I used to be interested in it than I've ever been. And yet I find that I have more access to those things now than I ever have. And I don't think that's accidental.
0: Right. Wow. I love that. And you know, you hear me talk about my friend David Foster all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those listening, uh, David Foster was a pastor who had a profound impact in my life. He passed away a couple years ago. And he he preached his very last sermon. He had preached his sixth sermon of a six-part series just hours before he passed away. Wow. Yeah. And one of the things that he said during that final series of sermons was this. He said, people will forget what you say. People will forget what you do. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Wow, that's it.
1: And you know, it's it's funny because you've talked to me about David many times. You've never told me how many books he sold, how many people went to his church, how well known he was, how many people listened to his podcast. All you've ever shared with me is how he made you feel.
0: That's all I've ever. That's that's it. I've never said anything else about him other than how he made me feel. He made me feel loved. He, made me, feel, he f- made me feel grateful. He made me feel... It was... Yeah. And, and think about this, Ray. I, I, think about anybody you know that's dead. What's the first thing that comes to your mind?
1: It's that. I've never really thought through this before, but I'm just thinking through people that I've known, some of whom I've loved.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Some of whom I will just admit I didn't. Uh, but- and they've passed on. And all I can remember about them really... My first thought is how they made me feel.
0: That's the first thing.
1: I can dig for other stuff, but what really left the impression on me was how they made me feel. Yep. So, okay, now I want to, I see now by how much time we've invested in this conversation that this is going to be a two-parter. So I'm going to engage in a little broadcast tomfoolery now. I'm going to set up a teaser for part two. And the teaser is, we've got so much more to talk about in terms of Hamilton your journey with that, what you're about now, what, you're, what you feel like you're headed for now, where you're going. And it applies directly to people listening. I think every one of us struggles with this internal, whether we admit it or not, this internal battle about wanting to be certain about how our life is going to turn out and wanting some variety and excitement in our life. And this struggle between wanting to be loved and to love and wanting to be significant we struggle with these things. And I think that what you are experiencing and what you've been sharing with people speaks directly to that. And I also want to entice you to listen to next week's second part of this conversation, because after everything we just said, I'm going to share why I think it's important that you make as much money and as much impact as possible. And I know that may seem impossible to reconcile right now, but I think there is a way I could be wrong, but I'll share that with you and so much more when we continue.
0: Well, there you go, my friends. That is the end of part one of the conversation that I had with Ray Edwards on his podcast. And I'm so thankful that he and I both agreed that this would be a good idea to share it with you here in my show as well. Well, my friends, I typically hate to leave cliffhangers, but I do want to let you know we recorded the second part of our conversation, and I feel like the whole thing was incredible. I can't wait to share with you this next part of the conversation, which will be released next Friday. Hey, before I go, I just want to say one more reminder. My next session of Podcasting A to Z launches this Monday May 23rd. And if you are looking to launch a podcast, I would love to have this opportunity to be your personal coach over the next four weeks. There's still time for you to register. All you need to do is go over to to podcastinga2z.com. And my friends, next week, I'll bring you part two of this conversation with Ray. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, I encourage you to take everything you do in life to the next level. It's a man.